Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. We are back for another episode. This one is a really uh, exciting one. I'm sitting down with my good friend, Ashley Easter from Courage 365, a nonprofit that helps survivors of abuse. And it's also a nonprofit that I am honored to be a board member of. And we're going to have a really great conversation about building healthy community. But first, I want to just cover a couple quick things that have been popping up surrounding the podcast and the show and just do a little bit of uh, housekeeping here. First, I want to address the elephant in the room, or I should say the elephant and donkey in the room, uh, because I know there's been some people who are not thrilled about the fact that there's been some episodes that are focused on the subject of politics. And look, I 100% understand that, uh, and I understand why Political discourse is not something everyone wants to experience, Uh, but I wanted to create those episodes because I think they're really helpful to people who are uh, trying to navigate the intersection between, you know, political discourse that can get really uh, awful (laughs) uh, wherever you're having it, but particularly in the United States um, for, for most of the listeners. And uh, religious trauma, because I think those two things have a lot of links. There's a lot of uh, politicized uh, teaching within religious environments like the IFB. And so my goal is not to convert people to any specific political party, uh, but to encourage kind of really healthy dialogue. And so uh, don't worry if you don't like political discourse in any form. You don't want to hear the words politics. I don't blame you. Uh, there's only a couple episodes in the tank that are going to be covering that. So we had a really great conversation uh, with Dr. Laura Anderson that's available now. I have an upcoming interview with Dr. David Gushy that is going to be dropping in the next couple weeks, I believe March 10th. And then I have one with Scott M. Coley. Uh, so those are the next two that are going to be coming up regarding politics. And uh, again, if you aren't a fan of those, I 100% understand it. I hear you. Uh, but I've had enough people express interest. I've had enough people privately reach out on these topics that I thought it'd be really relevant. So um, yeah, I'm going to keep doing them. <laughs> so brave the storm, uh, but it shouldn't be too many more uh, before we're back in the swing of things uh, normally. And 
you can set politics aside outside this show. So um, yeah, I think it'd be really great. And and also, too, I mean, uh, the conversations I'm having regarding politics, deconstruction, like some of those are just conversations I really want to have. And, um, you know, I create this show for those that are listening, but I also create it for myself. And as I'm growing and learning and developing and examining my own worldview and my own beliefs about things, uh, to have access to talk to some of these authors and thought leaders and influencers and religious thinkers and political, uh, you know, critics. And it's, it's been really fascinating for me. And, uh, you know, I always try to toe that balance and keep in mind that some people don't listen to the show for me at all, which is totally fine. But also, I know there's some people who really enjoy seeing me kind of examine this stuff in real time over the last couple of years, now going into four years of the show. So uh, anyway, yeah, I just want to address that. I, I, I know that not every single episode of the last almost 300 episodes of Preacher Boys is going to be for everybody. And I understand and acknowledge that, but also I uh, want to make sure that I'm covering everything that seems relevant or everything that... Um, you know, even I'm personally examining on my own journey of leaving a high control religious group. So that's that for the political themed episodes. Uh, the next thing I wanted to just cover really quickly was I'm going to be participating this Friday. So Friday, uh, February 23rd, I'm going to be participating in a live Q and a with the Vashti initiative. Uh, it's going to be moderated by Evan Jones, who is a big part of the organization over there. And it's going to be featuring me and uh, my friend Kathy Durbin. Uh, both of us, of course, were featured in the documentary that hit HBO and Investigation Discovery called Let Us Pray, A Ministry of Scandals. So if you haven't watched it, now's probably a good time. And be sure to visit the link in the show notes of this episode to go tune in to that Q&A that's happening February 23rd. 2024 with the Vashti Initiative. It's starting right at 5 Pacific Standard Time and 8 Eastern Time, so uh, it's a really convenient time for anybody to be able to tune in. It's not too late, not too early, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good turnout to that. So be sure to tune in to Let Us Pray, uh, a survivor forum that's being hosted by the Vashti Initiative February 23rd. 2024. And then lastly, before I get into today's topic with Ashley Easter, my special guest, I do want to address a case that I know many people have been following since uh, since it first dropped at the end of last year, and that was the arrest of Nick Coral. Nick was a former teacher, vice principal, and athletic director at Calvary Christian School in Banning, California, which is my alma mater, for those of you that don't know. And so I've obviously been following this case uh, pretty closely. And he was arrested and charged at the end of last year. And he was finally sentenced February 15th. Uh, he took a plea deal uh, last month. And uh, I'll just read the article from Patch so you can kind of know exactly what's happening there. I'll link to it in the show notes of this episode. So if you want to uh, read through it yourself. But it says a former teacher at a Christian school in Banning who had inappropriate contact with a female student was sentenced Thursday to three months in jail and three years felony probation, as well as ordered to register as a sex offender. Nicholas Garrett Coral, 26, of Banning, pleaded guilty last month to attempted sexual intercourse with a minor and molestation of a child under 18 years old under a plea agreement with the Riverside County District Attorney's Office. In exchange for his admissions, prosecutors dropped a related felony charge. 
Superior Court Judge Jorge Hernandez certified the terms of the plea deal and imposed the sentence stipulated by the prosecution and defense. In addition to three months in custody, the judge ordered Coral to spend an additional 90 days in a sheriff's work release program, during which time he'll have to be gainfully employed or attend school. The plea bargain requires the defendant to register as a sex offender under Penal Code Section 290 as part of his probation, and the registration bars him from having any contact with a juvenile outside of his family. The terms specify that Coral cannot be, quote, within 100 yards of where minors congregate, including but not limited to schools, yards, parks, amusement parks, concerts, playgrounds, swimming pools, and arcades, end quote. He must also keep law enforcement informed of where he's residing. According to a Banning Police Department arrest warrant affidavit, Coral was on the faculty of Calvary Christian School in Banning. The declaration said that he was spotted with a 15-year-old girl whose identity was not disclosed in a storage room on the campus last September 12th. A witness saw the student on his lap face-to-face in a dark room while classes were underway, police said. The school is part of Mountain Avenue Baptist Church, which is next door. A church employee went to the police station that day and reported criminal acts against a child that occurred on church property, according to the affidavit. The ensuing investigation culminated in the defendant's arrest hours later at the Vista Serena condominium complex. Coral was dismissed from his position. He had no documented prior felony convictions in Riverside County. So anyway, that's the update on Nick there. It's really simple. Um, I, I could have predicted really the outcome of this. I figured it would be two to three months in jail time, some probation. I honestly am very surprised he had to register as a sex offender, just given similar cases. But I'm glad that he did. Of course, I wish it was more time. But um, I'm glad that he actually was uh, given some time and is forced to register as a sex offender. So I want to give that update for anybody who's been wondering. I know I get DMs about this case specifically fairly frequently, so I wanted to address that here on the show. Well, now let's get into today's topic. We're talking all about uh, building healthy community. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Ashley Easter. She is the founder and director of Courage 365, a nonprofit committed to helping survivors of abuse, uh, both from religious backgrounds and just any background in general. So they help victims of abuse in LGBTQ communities, in domestic violence situations. It's a really fantastic organization that I'm honored to be a part of as a board member and uh, really excited to be bringing these conversations with Ashley out to you every single month. Uh, I don't know which day I'll set as like the Courage 365 day, but at least once a month, you're going to be hearing a Q&A with Ashley and me just discussing some of these topics that are really pressing for survivors, just really resource heavy, uh, really helpful topics that are going to encourage some people who need it. And so, uh, yeah, enjoy this conversation. Be sure to visit Courage365.org to find out more about this incredible organization. But for now, let's get into my conversation with Ashley Easter. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one in particular because I know that building community is one of the hardest things when you leave, whether it's an abusive relationship, whether it's leaving a religious community, um, finding people that you can trust and finding people that understand kind of where you're at in your journey is really, really difficult. Um, And so I think it's a good time to kind of talk about building that support structure around you. So first and foremost, how does being part of a supportive community contribute to the healing journey of survivors? Mm. Well, I think evolutionarily speaking, humans have evolved to 
be in tribes and whether you go all the way back before we had the humans of today there was always these tribal communities and it allowed people to feel safe it allowed people to feel connection and there were a lot of shared resources now back in the day it was you know a lot of physically shared resources like food and water and berries and all the things that they had um but i think as humans we really are hardwired to be in community of some sort. And so when I look at um, the importance and the benefits of community, I just see that we were usually harmed in a community sense, even if it was just by one person, there's often a community response that's often negative. And so for us to heal the wounds of what's happened in community, feeling safe community to kind of replace those memories and fulfill the loss of community that um, was taken away from us mm -hmm. during the abuse. I find that that's just a very important step and kind of having this ground level um, healing for ourselves. You mentioned safe community. And I know for especially people listening to my podcast, there's a lack of trust in yourself to identify what is a safe community. So, you know, I know there's a lot of different caveats and things to look out for, but if you could say like two or three things that you try to look for when determining the safety of a group. So you're not jumping from one toxic group to another. Right. So when you're in a toxic group, they continually try to get you to doubt yourself, to doubt your gut, to look at everybody else and what they're saying about what reality is instead of looking inside and seeing what you're feeling, what you're picking up and noticing what your body's reacting to. And so I would encourage people that you're not the same person today as you were when you're in that group. You no longer have to rely on other people to tell you what to think, do, and believe. You don't have to rely on other people to tell you um, their version of what's safe or um, good community is because sometimes that's warped as we've seen in many faith communities. So first, I would just say, pay attention to what's going on in your body. If you are meeting a new person or going into a new group, you don't have to trust right away. In fact, I would say it's very important to be cautious. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go in completely skeptical and like a chip on your shoulder, that type of thing. Um, but move in slowly. And as you're interacting with people, as you're interacting with a group, see how it's setting with you. Does this feel uncomfortable? Does this feel like boundaries are being crossed? Does this feel like there's something here that makes you feel safe? So I think the the first thing I would do is just really pay attention to your body and how it's reacting because so many times that's been like bred out of us in these toxic cultures. Um, the other thing I would say is there are some clear markers of healthy communities and that is really you being able to leave the group at any time without punishment, you being able to ask questions and get transparent answers. Um, in groups like this, you're not going to be forced to um, become exactly like carbon copies of everybody else in the group. There's going to be an encouragement for people to think differently. And as long as there's kind discourse, disagreement is fine. So I would look for those sorts of things. But then just at the end of the day, I think some of it's going to take a little bit of time. 
because maybe you initially go into a group or meet a new person and you don't have any red flags come up. But as you get deeper into the group, don't completely let your guard down. Because what I have seen with some survivors is they're so desperate for a community. And I get it because I've been there that once they kind of get through the first little bit of time, then they drop all boundaries and guardrails. And then they just go into full-fledged trust, like a safe community and a, a way of looking at life is just, I am going to see what feels safe and right for my body right now. And keep reevaluating that, keep reevaluating that and allow yourself to always kind of have that in the back of your mind that if things start to feel off, you don't owe it to the group to stay. And if they start treating you like you do owe it to the group to stay, then that's a problem. That's a red flag. I think any group that offers itself up as like the only solution, <laughs> and I see this with even advocacy groups where, you know, we have this proven method to heal you from this thing, or we are the safest community, or we are this thing. And I I think, like you said, there's a freedom to leave and be able to explore different environments. And, and you know, and that doesn't always mean that a group necessarily became unsafe, but maybe it didn't become the thing that was most beneficial to you at this stage. And, you know, I tell people that with my group, my, my group is, you know, very focused on people who are trying to reconcile the weight of religious trauma and abuse. And, you know, every group because of who I am, because of who members are that have joined, there's different tones in different groups. And so I've told people like, it doesn't have to be mine. It can be, so-and-so's. It could be a group that's focused more on deconstruction. It could be a group that's focused more on sexual abuse without the religious angle to it. And I think having that freedom is a good sign. And I think it's important, like even in one-to-one -one relationships, like we outgrow relationships. So it's okay to let yes. those go. And it doesn't have to be, let's wait until like the bridges are burning and the house is falling down. Like we can, <laughs> we can make those choices in a healthy, healthy way. Um, yeah, that, that reminds me of two things. I feel like it's the same way with therapists. Like you can find a good quality therapist and then you can get to a point where you outgrow their expertise and they might need to refer you to somebody else who can focus on a different area you've uncovered. That doesn't necessarily mean that therapist was bad. It's just that the time expired. And then the other thing kind of going along with that is I think we've been trained that we need to stay in the same mindset and stay in the same group forever when we talk about religious communities because they really want to stunt your growth to a point where you don't think beyond where you're constantly reliant and they don't want you to be able to fathom you know leaving that group and evolving to another one david hayward has some really good stuff if you all follow him he's the naked pastor he does all those cool cartoons but you know he was just talking about how a lot of times toxic religious groups try to keep you as a spiritual adolescent and they don't want you to mature into adulthood and seek other um, ways of thinking and experiencing life. And so I think that definitely applies to advocacy groups as well. Um, find what fits for you and don't feel bad if you outgrow something. One of the things I've looked at personally in relationships and in communities, which are just relationships, <laughs> kind of exponential yeah. relationships where there's more and more connections and second and third connections onward, 
But one of the things I look at is I think in fundamentalism, we're trained to look for like-minded people is like a Mm. phrase that gets used a lot. And I found that it is important to get around like-minded people, but that doesn't mean you agree on everything. It means you agree with how you get to the things that you believe. And Mm. I think one of the keys to look at is how do you go about, and some people honestly, I know for a long time, I didn't do this. A lot of people don't know how they come to the conclusions that they hold. Mm. They don't look at how they receive information, process it and apply what works for them. And I think if you can find like-minded people in the terms of, hey, we're trying to figure out some of life's biggest questions, whether that's healing, whether that's parenting, growth, religion, how do you go about parsing through that information? And if you can find people who are all kind of parsing through information the proper way and not just using an an ideological stance as like a weapon against everybody, I think you're yeah. going to find yourself in a lot healthier communities and your relationships will last even when you're not necessarily in full agreement. Because if you're basing on full agreement, you're never going to last more than maybe a couple weeks or a couple months or if you're lucky, a couple of years in any specific relationship. That makes sense. I, I, I know community is important to Courage 365 specifically. And I know that there's a lot of resources that have been created to help individuals find community who are probably in the loneliest parts of their journey. Um, mm-hmm. How has community become really a core part of Courage 365? You know, I think that's something that really started the whole organization so let me give like a quick history of Courage 365. Before we were Courage 365, um, we actually just had the Courage Conference and it was an event where people from all across the country, even some other countries, would come together and as survivors, we talk about these important issues. And I just saw how survivors like myself we just often feel very isolated and being able to create intentional spaces for people to come together is just so incredibly healing. So that's sort of how the organization started. And as it's evolved to its own nonprofit, Courage 365, we've continued to have that value. So a couple of things that we do to try to maintain that is number one, we realize that different people feel comfortable in different types of community. So some people, People want to be very public. Some people want to be small groups. Some people just want to be in private. All of those things are okay. And so we have kind of three main ways that we do that. So like our more public space is our Facebook group, Courage 365 group. And um, yes, it is a private group on Facebook, but you're going to meet a lot of people in there. And I've seen um, even just this weekend, people sharing stories of what they're going through and their struggles and other survivors just jumping on the thread and being like, oh my gosh, I've been there. Keep going. I'm going to support you. Here's some tips that I learned. And so some people really thrive in that. So we offer that through the entire year. Then we also have peer support groups where there's a curriculum people go through with a small 
a group of other survivors and they're able to talk a little bit more intimately, get to know each other a little bit more intimately, build that trust in a small space and find a lot of healing through those conversations. And then there's other people who are on our text message list. And every morning, Monday through Friday, we send an empowering text message. And I've had so many people reach out and say like, this helps me remember that there's a community of survivors behind me. You know, I have to go to court and I know that when I got this text message, this represents a whole community supporting me. And so I do think that community can look different for different people. And we do our best to try to offer different types because everybody's at a different place and we want to respect that. I know that there's the virtual community side. And then you mm -hmm. mentioned courage started really with the one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. you know, physical kind of connection with people. Do you think that it's important to make time for like in-person community beyond virtual community? Do you think that one can supplement the other? Because, you know, there's people listening who might be in a big city where there's lots of opportunity. There might be some that are living down the street from the church they used to go to, and it feels like the whole town goes there. Um, how do you recommend people go about finding in-person interactions with other people who are safe and not, you know, not representative of some of the negative experience they may have had? Right. So that's going to be a nuanced answer. I know from my personal experience, there's really been two ways that I've found in-person community. One was talking about my story um, in a more public way. And when I did that, people reached out and they're like, oh my gosh, me too. And some could identify um, with things from my specific community I came from. Other people were from other faith backgrounds and communities, but they were like, I can really connect with this. And we started talking online, which then led to phone calls or Zooms, which then led to, hey, I'm traveling to your state for business. You know, do you want to meet up for coffee? Those kinds of things. Um, so some of it was putting myself out there and being a little bit vulnerable, a lot vulnerable. <laughs> the other way has just um, been through social media in general. I have followed certain people um, in the advocacy world or other survivors. And I've reached out to try to make personal connections online, which has then built into a more trusting relationship where we took the next step to meet in person. I think it's really hard for adults to find friends in any stage of life, even if abuse is not on the table. So I do think you have to be very intentional about finding people that you can meet in person. And I think a lot of that comes through taking that step and saying, hey, I'm going to send this person a Facebook message. And if we chat for a while and we hit it off, let's talk on the phone. I had so many phone calls like the first couple of years mm. um, where I came out with my story and it was just, I met my best friend that way. Um, so I do think in-person community is very valuable, but I also understand that there are some people who that just isn't safe, isn't possible for them at the time. And so I just want to like hold space for people who desire that, but it's not practical. Um, and in those cases, I think the online community can be very powerful and supportive. Just to build on all that. And, and I'm somebody too, who you know, my circle has dwindled down quite a bit um, in terms of like long time relationships. And I think that's a normal 
experience, unfortunately, leaving kind of fundamentalist religious groups mm-hmm. is that, you know, you go the the bridge too far and they feel that they can't be supportive or they change the way that they behave towards you. Um, one of the things that's been helpful to me has been finding relationships that are completely outside of that context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we talk about survivor communities and I do think, you know, we were just together in North Carolina with several other people who relate to each other's stories. I think there's value in that, but there's also a lot of value in getting around people who don't have any of that context and who are just purely part of the, for lack of a better word, the normal world. Like the people that, that (laughs) go, you went to what kind of church? Like the people that can kind of be your outside eyes. And, you know, I, I have people that I talk to about religious trauma I have people that I literally talk to about movies and I talk to about, you know, mainly movies. That's pretty much what I talk about outside of religious trauma. <laughs> and, you know, I like that there's that separation there. I like that there's things that we go to locally where some people don't even know that I was in a documentary about religious abuse, like, mm-hmm. and I like that anonymity, you know, so finding people who maybe don't have the same issues or or problems or past trauma just because it gives you a little bit of time to breathe and not have to be in that mode all the time and i know it's funny for me to say and probably funny for someone like you to say who talks about this all the time but having that reprieve i think is really important too yeah no that's a really good point and it reminds me of two things one is um you know i was i was homeschooled i grew up in a very cult like environment and there were so many pop culture references that i did not understand literally there was somebody who wrote a reply to me on twitter a few years back and i was like is that from leviticus and they were like no it's lord of the rings and i was like i don't know i wasn't allowed to watch that um and so meeting people kind of outside of your experience allows you to kind of be introduced to other areas of the world and if you have a safe, supportive friend who maybe you laugh and joke about that together, but they're right. not like laughing at you. They're laughing with you. Like it's an opportunity to learn fun things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I got out, I learned about Taylor Swift and now one of my best friends were like Swifties together, you know, and we like talk about that all the time. And um, that kind of brings me to my other point where you have another interest, Eric, which is movies. I think a lot of people who come out of church environments um, that were very toxic, a lot of times they don't have hobbies <laughs> because their hobby was door right. knocking, their hobby was witnessing, their hobby was whatever. Yeah. And then there's a lot of time focused on healing trauma. And I think just from a self-care perspective, trying to find something else in your life that interests you. Mm-hmm. And then like you were talking about, Eric, trying to find other people who have that same interest. Yeah. That's just that's just a lot of relief, a lot of fun. And I don't know, it's very fulfilling. The pursuit of figuring out what you like is cool. Yeah, That's putting yourself out there is like, I'm trying new things. I'm getting out into mm-hmm. new spaces, like, yeah. you know, figuring out that stuff. And again, you can find whole new communities linked Mm -hmm. into like something that isn't, you know, eternal salvation related. It's (laughs) not high stakes. It's like, you know, for some that's literally like, oh, I'm doing, this is not for me, but for people that do like, hey, we're going to go get together and play a role-playing game together. And we love board games. Like Mm -hmm. I hate board games. That's not how you're going to connect with me, but (laughs) there's people that are going to connect through that. There's people that are going to connect through 
again, film groups, discussion groups, there's people that through book clubs, you know, like there's lots of different paths. I mean, maybe pick a book club that's not going to pick <laughs> triggering books, but there's lots of different things out there that are, yeah. that are really cool. Um, and also like what I've noticed too, through movies is like just documenting what I'm watching sometimes mm. brings people into conversation. Dominic Benninger, you know, messaged me about yeah. different things. Like it's, it's easy ways to kind of have low stakes conversations with other people. Um, I kind of want to ask this just in terms of people who are listening, who may go, I feel like I have community, but I feel like I'm not necessarily fostering opportunity Mm -hmm. for others to come into my space. Um, How do you go about making yourself a kind of open and safe space for other people to be reaching out to you? Um, And then beyond that, like, how do you go about, being inclusive in welcoming people in because I think sometimes we tend to just draw more of ourselves like Mm -hmm. and we don't broaden our horizons to maybe other you know types of people and people that may have different experiences or perspectives than us how do we go about being intentional with including other people into our circles this doesn't have to be your inner circle but just your broader circle um I think before we can even talk about that we need to address like what is the person's values for community? Because they say there's no community like church community, and that's true. And maybe that's good um, that you can't find that same thing elsewhere. Because I know moving to different places when I was church going, I was able to jump into a new church and immediately have people that I was connected with that wanted to go out to lunch and coffee and we'd hang out. And there was this instant community, this instant trust, this instant shared vision, um, But that's also where a lot of love bombing can happen. That's also where a lot of codependence can happen. And we can also get this idea that we're supposed to have 500 best friends (laughs) because everybody's thinking the same. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to step back and realize like, what is actually realistic for drawing people in? What are my actual goals? Do I really think it's realistic to have 500 best friends? Is that even healthy? (laughs) Um, Probably not. So kind of first identifying what you mean by like bringing people into your community. And then I have like different layers of people that I connect with. So I have a very close inner circle. That's only a handful of people, probably like three or four people Then I have good friends. Then I have friends that I'd probably go for coffee with, but you know, we don't like talk all the time. Then there's acquaintance slash colleagues and not every person that you're trying and you to forgot connect mortal enemies is the oh next. Yes, yes yes but that's a different those are there list. too yeah. but i try to keep them out of my community <laughs> <laughs> true true but i think when you're getting to know people um you don't have to have the expectation that you're immediately trying to draw them into your closest three people or even your very best friends. Like it's okay to start having acquaintances that then maybe work their way in as you build trust and connection. Mm. Um, so, um, I don't think you're necessarily going out and looking for a best friend. And I think that changes how you approach it. So, um, I would say be friendly and, um, go out of your way to connect with people. 
if I am out and about and I see somebody who has amazing hair, I'm like, girl, I love your hair. That is so cute. Where'd you get it done? And then immediately there's a conversation. I haven't divulged anything incredibly intimate about myself, but people love to be complimented. They love to be praised for who they are and what they're doing. And so that can be a way to, hey, I admire this person. Let me tell them I admire them. Now don't go overboard, <laughs> be a creeper. But um, you know, it's that way. But also online, I will see people that I'm like, well, I really appreciate their advocacy work mm -hmm. or I really appreciate their perspective on this political thing. And I will write them a comment to start with and start a relationship, you know, cut a conversation back and forth. And then maybe from there, I might send them a message sometime and just be like, Hey, I really appreciated you writing X, Y, and Z or your perspective on this. I had a quick question for you. Um, what do you think about this? And then you can start a conversation from there. But I would say in the beginning, giving more than what you're taking um, and coming from a really genuine place, not to just stack up people in your community or connections, but like actually being interested in people. Um, and there's a difference between there's this expert person that I can't afford to coach me. So I want to ask in the DMs if I can pick their brain <laughs> and genuinely meeting somebody that you think you could be mutual friends with and being like, Hey, I'm really interested in this. I want to share part of my life. Um, so I, I think a lot of it's kind of like getting to know someone on a date. You know, you start at this, you know, kind of friend acquaintance level. You start asking more and more questions. And each step of the way, you're um, paying attention to like, are they trustworthy? Do they seem honest? Are they um, mutually reciprocating? Those those types of things. But I, I really think most of the time, you got to make the first move. You got to be the one to to reach out and Maybe you'll be lucky and somebody will reach out to you, but if you want to have community, a lot of times you have to be kind of a go-getter and just yeah. reach out to other people. Say, hey, you're cool. Right. No, I love the idea of layers because mm -hmm. um, that's kind of how I've structured things. I used to, I, I really struggled with that for a long time. I would say up till maybe, I think the podcast honestly forced me to do it because I was instantly having a lot of people, which is good, but I had a lot of people reaching out that were like, because they're listening to me every week, we're like, we're BFFs. And it was like, right. um, I actually had a phone call last night and she's probably listening. And I, uh, <laughs> I loved having the conversation, but it was funny because I mentioned that on the call. I said, I said, we were aware of each other, but mm -hmm. um, never had talked before. And we got on the, on the phone. I was like, well, it's good to finally like get, like actually get to know you. And I know we didn't really know each other before and I stopped myself and I was like, well, you actually probably know me a lot more than I know <laughs> you. And it, we kind of laughed that like, and she said, she's like, well, listen to podcast. I literally feel like, oh, you're in my ear all the time. And mm -hmm. so I think it's a really interesting, like just approach to the, <laughs> the conversation, but mm -hmm. having that layer and going like, Hey, we have this shared thing. Let's talk about this. And we ended the call going, let's continue this conversation. Like you're free right. to keep talking to me. I've had other conversations where you have to put them in a different bucket where it's like, yeah. let's not keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. And then you have other people that it becomes a, now we're talking every day. And like, we've become friends through it. Uh, like right. uh, we met, you know, just having public dialogue. And then it became, you know, I was staying at your house for like, two right. or three days, you know, like it's my become, husband was there too. Your guys. husband was there. That's a weird <laughs> give context. 
but it's like one of the things like now I, now I've met your dog. Like we've become friends, you know? And so it's a, it's a case by case thing. And I think that's important to recognize and also recognizing the fact that like, you don't have to be friends with everybody. You don't have to, not everybody is your mission or your specific responsibility. I think that's huge. And Mm -hmm. the last thing I want to just highlight that you said was like, yes, there's the first impressions. Um, And this is something when I interviewed um, Nadine Macaluso, um, you know, I asked her about this and as I was asking it, I answered my own question (laughs) and I asked her and I said, so in your book, you talk about how, um, you know, pathological people lay on all of their best face in the first interaction. And I asked her and I said, you know, how are you supposed to trust your first impression of somebody? And right when I said it and it left my (laughs) mouth, I was like, you don't, (laughs) you have multiple impressions and you get to know somebody. And, And she answered that, you know, trust is earned. And I think that's really important. I think that's at the heart of all of this is like finding safety by earning the trust, having people earn trust with you and just allowing new information to influence your decisions moving forward. Um, and I think if people do that and are not rushing, I think they're going to build some really healthy community. I agree with that. That's, that is so true. Um, one thing that you said, um, that really resonated with me because I also have people reach out and they tend to think that we're like best friends, even though I've maybe just had a few comments with them because I have a lot of things that I've written, a lot of videos that have done those kinds of things. And so I really appreciate you talking about it from the perspective of, you know, they know a lot about us, um, a lot more about us than we may about them. But I think on the flip side, it's important to talk to people. And I can, you know, even fall into this myself. There are people that I see as influencers and I um, devour anything that they put out. And so I feel like we're best friends. Um, but I have to check myself and remind myself that I see what they have curated. I see what they have put out publicly. And even if what they have put out publicly is a true representation of themselves, knowledge does not equal, um, closeness. So just because you know a lot about somebody does not mean that you two are friends or that the other person is going to be ready to open up to you as quickly as you would want to open up to them. And so even approaching relationships like that with not going overboard and acting like your BFFs before real tangible trust has been built um, versus you just having a lot of knowledge and you personally trust them. It needs to be a mutual thing um, before it can be a true quality relationship. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's where those phone calls and conversations come in. Like, and that's Mm -hmm. where I think that's where that really, that connection happens. You know, like I said, the person that I was just talking about, like we hopped on the phone was, we were going to talk for like five minutes. We ended up talking for like an hour and a half. And like I said, (laughs) it led to extended conversation and here's more talking points and like stay in touch on this thing. And like, I'm glad that we had the call and I'm glad that I have a new friend who, you know, where we can talk through that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's because immediately getting on that conversation, it's like, let's get to actually know each other and not what do we think we know about each other, you know, from mutuals Mm -hmm. or from 
past, you know, seeing on social media, which is not a reliable narrator, you know? And so right. um, I think that's huge. Um, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, um, you mentioned a couple of resources. If you had to pick one resource for people to get plugged into community, uh, what would you mm -hmm. recommend them do? I would say that our Courage 365 Facebook group is really great because you're able to meet so many different people and we have like our events and, you know, live Q and A's and different trainings in there. But then in that space, we also let you know about other community opportunities like our courage clubs and text message lists. But I, I think it's a really great entry point to join the Facebook group. Um, and I would encourage you if you're looking for a community to make a post in there. I've had some people come into the group and they're like, I didn't meet anybody. And I understand that we all want to be seen, but in the Facebook world, it's just these little avatars. So if you want to be seen, if you want feedback, maybe post a question or post a thought. And um, my experience of the group as people are very loving and engaging. And I think that can be a great way to let people know that you're there and you want to connect. And so that's where I would go. Um, and that's how I would approach the group. Um, so you actually can start meeting people. Well, I have links to all of that in the show notes. Again, none of these are one size fits all solutions, but I think the group is a good place to start because it's a low barrier to entry. It's low stakes. It's You can literally just go in there and watch for a little bit and see other people interact. Um, I think that's huge, but thank you so much for joining me in this conversation and uh, I'll see you next month for our next one. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. 